1: Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn
2: more at uh1.com. Hello, I'm Sophia Lisbexter, and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer, and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but it can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Morning, this is the sound of Saturday mornings in my house. Uh, if you're listening closely, you'll hear. Oh, the frustrated sound of a five-year-old who's struggling to do something with his toys. You'll hear. Oh my toys! All right, you'll hear. Um, sorry, distracted now. Uh, sizzle of pancakes. And what are you doing on the iPad, Jess? Let's have a look. Oh, nice, cute. Jesse's been watching a lot of monkey monkey footage um anyway i hope you've had a good week uh we've come to the last one of the series and um oh, it's all right mickey um i'm coming listen let me just chat do this and then i can um come and spend some time with you um uh, maybe now wasn't a good time to do the introduction to the podcast oh it's gonna be a busy old day i've done something a bit Mm, potentially foolish. So my second-born son Kit has just turned fifteen this week. So um, we're taking a load of his friends out to the cinema, and then he was like, and obviously they're all staying for a sleepover. And I just was a bit too weak to fight it. So we have nine, nine fifteen-year-olds sleeping over tonight. Um, haven't massively planned the bedding situation. I just think something will happen. They're probably not going to sleep anywhere, right? I'm- Okay, I'll be there in a second, Alan. And then tomorrow morning I'm leaving to go to New York. So let's just see. Look, if it all goes horribly wrong, I can just get on a plane and and sleep, right? I'm going to New York for quite an exciting reason. It's my first ever professional um, commitment in America. (laughs) Excuse me, I've got a bit of a cough. And I'm singing on Jimmy Fallon on Monday. So that'll be lots of fun. I'm actually just really excited about it. It's a really nice thing to get to do. And uh, yeah, Rich is going to come with me to help me with the music side of things, and that is my <coughs> oh god, sorry, that's annoying. That's my next few days, and then at the end of the week, I've got the BAFTAs, where I just have to sing my song, my little friendly song, and then um, and then have some fun. So that's my week in and out of half term, just making some plans for the kids. I think I'm going to go and visit some animals called a capybara because that's what my 11-year-old Ray wanted to get for the house. They're the world's largest rodent. He decided we should have two. He said, it's really easy, mummy. You just need a licence and off you go. I don't think it's that simple. I don't think I'm going to be a house that has two massive rodents walking around it. I don't even know how it would work. I don't think anyone has them domestically. I think you have to have them like outside in a hutch type situation. I don't think he'd really thought it through. But it turns out there is the only place in the UK I can find where you can meet Capybaras is about 20 minutes from our house. So I think we're going to do that during halftime. I'll let you know how that goes if I remember at the beginning of the next series. So today's guest, Trini Woodall. So I've, uh, look, like lots of people, been long aware of Trini. I used to watch What Not to Wear... When I was uh, young and I thought she she and Susanna were very dynamic and driven and exciting to watch and lots of energy, but also wise and friendly and gave good advice. So that was really good telly. And then Trini Woodall was presenting that show for a while. And then to my mind, the next incarnation was with this wildly successful beauty business. So it kept being popped up on my feed. It was one of those things where I kept seeing her doing her her little videos to camera talking about fashion and makeup and beauty. And I think at first I was like, oh, I reckon, I, you know, i remember a And is this something that works for me? But actually, she's a very, I find, compelling woman when she engages with, you know, people she's talking to doing her social things. So she makes you feel like you are in the room with her. She's got a phenomenal energy. And it was an absolute pleasure to go around to her place, and we did two things. The first thing we did was we filmed something for her, where I used this little micro—what's it called? Yeah, microdermabrasion, little sort of tool. It's basically micro needles. In fact, that's what it's called. Sorry, ignore what it's about. Microdermabrasion. I don't even know what it is. I might have made that up. Can you tell I'm not someone that does facials? It's a micro needling tool. So it's basically like a little um, lawn roller (laughs) for your face that's got needles on it (laughs) so you sort of roll this little contraption over bits of your face and then it allows deeper um, absorption of the creams you then put on and it also helps your skin kind of regenerate a little bit in that bit because you're causing tiny little um, aggressions on your face and then it goes okay we need to repair that that's plumping up your skin that's the idea Uh, but I found it didn't hurt and it meant that, so we filmed this stuff in our pyjamas, which is quite weird for me so I just met Trini for the first time and then I quickly put into of my pyjamas at her house uh, and then we filmed that and then we decided to stay in our pyjamas for talking, for spinning plates which actually I really recommend I mean, let me tell you it really breaks down the barriers if you meet someone new for the first time and immediately put on what you wear to sleep in and I found her, well, all the things I thought I would, you know, interesting, smart, driven, energetic. But also, I really noticed how she's very, very open, just one of those people that wears her experiences on her sleeve. And there's no skeletons in the closet. She's sort of a very, very much presents herself in 360. You know, Can these are the good bits of me. me these now. are the bits I found challenging. Are you done? Nearly done. And no, are you we, done? Yes, I am. We had a really good are chat. Are you done cooking dishes? Oh, God, there's a pancake in the pan. I forgot. Thank you, <coughs> Mickey, for reminding me. Uh, anyway, I will leave you with that. And Oh, it's okay. I didn't leave a pancake you there. Yes. Mm. Um, I'll see you on the other side. Enjoy the chat with R- Trini. Put your pyjamas on if you want to join us. And I will see you in a bit. So um, I think this is the first podcast recording I've done in my pyjamas, and I just want to thank you for that. I think I might, this might set a precedent, actually, Trini, that we always do this now.
0: I think it adds something to the conversation, because we're at a most intimate relationship with ourselves when we're in our pyjamas. For me, it's that cleansing ritual. It's that time of winding down from the day. Um, I'm not somebody who gets up and stays in my... Dressing gown for a long time, so it's definitely an evening feeling with me. Ah, okay. And so it's when I unwind the most.
2: Well, how nice. We I'm going to be like sleeping
0: way. in a second.
2: <laughs> it's sort of as well as tricking my brain into thinking I stayed the night here last night.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome anytime.
2: <laughs> so thank you. It was a great breakfast. Um, well, why don't we start with the here and now? What is going on in your life at the moment? No, people are
0: all going to ask first, why the fuck were you in your pyjamas? Yes, pajamas? True, actually. It's like we haven't asked that question. <laughs> I think we do. <laughs> Sophie and I are striking a relationship. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. We just wanted to break the ice in a really dramatic way. Actually, you know what? That is a prudent point. Not necessarily the explanation about the pyjamas, but the reason why I was here already and did actually get into this thing is because we were doing... Um, you and I were filming something for your new product, which is a micro-needling tool for people to use at home. And what I really took from it, and I was—I feel very lucky that I got to experience it firsthand because I'd already seen it through the way that you communicate people anyway. But obviously what you've built is huge and touches many, 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 many people. but And this might seem like a strange comparison, but it really reminds me of something that Mary Berry said to me when I spoke to her, about how when she first started doing her cookery show, she basically, on the other end of the camera, would just picture one person, Mm -hmm. one person she was trying to reach. And I think you are able to very much focus all of your skill set and all of your learning, what you're doing, into the individual. So I felt like I was... It made me feel like everything you've been doing was for my benefit, And I don't think everybody is able to communicate that even when they're just doing Instagrams or interviews.
0: I think it depends a lot on how we formulated our career. I think Mm. you, Mary, and I have that. I think when you sing, you probably, maybe to overcome shyness at some stage in your early singing career, you just thought, let me just think of one person in front of me, not um, this gazillion that were there, because Mm. that could be quite overwhelming. I don't know if you found that. Yeah. I think that... Uh, when I did my last career, which was in TV, we never had a script. So I wasn't trying to remember lines as I was talking to somebody. And I think if somebody's in an environment where they are interviewing people or talking to somebody and they have a script, it's really challenging because you've got to focus on that moment but remember something else. Your brain is doing two things at mm. once. But when you just add, you know ad-lib all the time, that's my laptop's going to go off every few minutes, I'll turn oh, it off. Right. But busy, when you ad-lib moment. all the time... You, it allows you to focus in on that person. And mm. when I did What Not to Wear, we had very little time. We had a week where we did all the filming, but in that first morning when we met them, in an hour, I had to really get to know them. So you, you need to see what's under somebody's skin. What is it that they don't want to talk to you about to, to begin with, but it's worrying them the most? How can you get there? And then later on in you know, what being the CEO of a beauty brand, I I do go around the world, meet a lot of people. And very quickly, because they maybe watch me on on social media, they know me. And that's me. I mean, you know, the person on social is the person. I'm not I'm I'm too long in the tooth to be two different people and I fit inside my skin so I don't have to be anymore. But they um feel that they actually it now sort of works in my favor because they'll tell me quite Deep dark secrets quite quickly. And some of my team are like, oh my God, they, you know. And it's and I love it that they do because that's trust. And and it a lot of relationships you're building up when you're somebody more in a public domain of one to quite a few, that just that ratio is it's about trust. Hmm. And you know, when you came in here today, you said to me, I don't do anything with my skin. And I've always looked at your skin and felt you've got the most incredible bone structure. And women who have amazing bone structure. Um, generally, the bone structure looks after them for a long time. So they, they never think about doing anything. And you have five kids and you're busy and it's like it hasn't been a big part of your agenda. But I I come across women who hit a certain time in their life and they think, actually, should I just do something? And then it's difficult to know where to start because you feel a bit left behind and all your friends have been doing a routine for years. So so I speak to lots of people in that situation too. Mm. And you want to think, what's the right amount that I can of information I can give them that they can take that on board? You know, you don't want to overload somebody with, mm. with info. Well,
2: it's interesting because you've touched on a couple of things that I wanted to talk to you about, one of which was I did think I bet you're somebody that people do just tell you things and they're very open with you quite quickly. I could already imagine that that's something. And that carries with it a certain responsibility sometimes, mm-hmm. I think. But then I suppose this, this skill that you've got of being able to, to kind of focus on people has served you well, even from when you were really little, and at school and breaking down big groups of people that are quite intimidating mm-hmm. into the individual and going, mm-hmm. actually, what about if we I work with you and I can... Have you tried doing your hair this way or things like this? Just yeah. to kind of individualise it. And then you've got that one-to-one with someone. Yeah. And then you break it down. And I totally agree as well about the audience. I do do that. I picture every... I try and yeah. look at every single person. Individuals are so much less scary than... Than ...big groups.
0: groups. Yeah. <laughs> there is this other... I saw something... Not that long ago. We've got bills outside, by the way. Don't worry. Um, London Which resonated with, res- resonated with me I, I like I was shocked by... I sort of listened to this woman say something. I thought, oh my God, why have I never heard that before? You know when we hear things at the right time. And at the moment, I have a CEO... Coach, so he helps me to try and be the best CEO I can be. And on this journey, we we go over lots of things. We go over how I think strategically, how I get from in the weeds to long term strategy, etc. But one thing he said is, you have a tendency to to do this thing when you're when you're um, fearful. You try and control, and and we got to un, unravel this and see where did it start. And I'm like, you're not my therapist. And he said, it's not about that. It's just at some stage, this is you know. You, this is a slight block to you changing your behavior. So let's look at it. Hmm. And then a week later, I saw this woman on Instagram, who's a woo-woo manifester. But, um, and I don't mean that in a detrimental way to people who manifest, but I just think manifesting is something that it's got a sort of modern way of interpreting. And I think we all, to an extent, either sit in our future a bit or or see our future as hardly attainable. Mm. And if the more we sit in our future, that is today's interpretation of manifesting. But this woman, I'm, I'm sidetracked. She said, people who are empaths, and I'm a bit of an empath, learn it early. And it's not always the best place to be because you know unconsciously who is the person in the room who's actually not having a great time. And you know that quite quickly. And when I... Have smaller groups of women I meet. I'll kind of hone in on on the person who might end up being the trickiest person for me to help, but something takes me there, mm. and that's because when you're when I was growing up, probably, and this is something I'm only just thinking about now, I was one of six, but I was always, and then when I, I went to boarding school very early at six and a half, and so you're always gauging, you're always taking the temperature in the room for your ability to have a place in the room and to be able to speak in the room or not speak in the room. So you're really checking out your surroundings all the time. And I realised that was me. You know, I've, I've never looked at why, how do I feel about going to school so early? But I think one of the things that actually probably happened is that. Mm. And that actually helped me to, in a way, fine-tune this ability of sort of knowing, you know, what is going on with some people where maybe they really most need help. And I've been drawn to that. And I think that's why I didn't want not to wear it. might, you know, look back now. We can look back at the 90s and think (laughs) those were years where things were far more straight talking and and lots of things that we couldn't do today. But there was still that underlying, here's a woman who wants help. It might be that she didn't ask for help herself. Somebody else brought her to the table. But at the end of any of those journeys, those women had shifted Found out a bit more about themselves, looked at themselves a little bit differently, and and I knew left us in a better emotional position than when they had come into that process.
2: Yeah, definitely. No, and I think um, I think that's where those you know that program resonated so massively was that everybody could relate to that feeling of feeling a little bit out of sorts, and then the reassurance and sisterhood of people really caring about you feeling good about things. Yeah. It's a, it's a really gorgeous thing that actually I mean when you were talking before you mentioned about now you feel that like you you fit in your skin when do you think you got to that point
0: I mean <laughs> do you think you I mean it takes a while it does, not for uh... anyone not for anyone <laughs> listening to think oh my god how many more years have I got to go I, I do feel addiction um got in the way of maybe me fitting in my skin a little bit earlier and I you know, use drugs from about sixteen to twenty-six. So so in that time you stop you you know, you stunt your emotional growth because it's all going into using drugs. So when I stopped using drugs, uh, that then was I was like a sixteen-year-old. So, you know, sixteen. So at thirty-six, I'm like twenty-six. So you're mm. feeling all those feelings. I think twenties are, you know, for me, the hardest time in my life. It was just so painful and there were so many there was so much of who am I, you know, who do I want to be Uh, and trying out different elements of one's personality to see how they resonate in life and resonate with yourself and Mm. how comfortable you feel in them. So it took me until I was probably about 35 to think I, I fit in my skin. And then certain other things, like when you put something down, you pick something else up, so I put down drugs, but workaholism kind of took hold of me and that sense of having to really you know, prove myself to myself and really pushing myself and, and, you know, really crazy work. So at the same time, I was trying to have a child and that didn't sit that comfortably. I did many IVF to try and have a child. So uh, there was that, you know, I think only when I, and still work can be, I can, you know, be very unbalanced in my work-life balance, but there is a merging for me, of work and life. So I see my work differently. And I, I, I actually, I'm, I don't want to judge somebody else's work, but let's say I went to, an, uh, to a nine-to-five job mm-hmm. and I, I'm a workaholic in the city. That person might be obsessed and love their work, but maybe they're doing a singular thing every day mm-hmm. that's quite similar. So in my work, every day I can be something really different. You know, I'm, I'm doing an interview with you today. I do a film in the morning, I'm doing a board meeting the next day, I'm doing an investor meeting. You know, it's really varied and I meet lots of different people. Through the day I meet lots of different people. So I don't feel all of it is classic work. Mm. And so that work-life balance is more, it's, it's am I doing too much of life <laughs> and do I need to retreat and just have some calm time? And I see it as that of the space in which I'm with many people versus the space in which I'm with myself. That makes a lot of sense.
2: And how well do you deal with, this sounds like a strange question, but how well do you deal with the fact that everything has built up so successfully? And I I know that sounds a strange thing, but if you've spent so many years dealing with different aspects and then things click in and Mm -hmm. it feels like, I feel like I've, I've kind of learned a lot about myself and things are coming together and I can put on these different hats and does it feel always feel good or has some aspects of it felt a bit like whoa, this is actually a new territory
0: I think it there is still and sometimes when I'm you know yesterday I do we do something called a town hall meeting which is when we get um we're doing once a month now the team so the team's not 220 people but there were probably 160 people Mm -hmm. so we take over the top floor of a pub and I sort of walk in there thinking on one hand I, I sort of say to the team um we're a successful beauty company. What are we doing in the, the top floor of a slightly dirty pub for our monthly town hall? My grandiosity knows no bounds because mm-hmm. I feel shiny. You know, I want the team to realise. But then it was empty and smelling of last night's drink. And then once we filled it up, it was filled up with this fabulous team that are Trini London. So then it took on its own its own uh, identity. which yes. sort of took over the room. And I stood up and felt very comfortable. You know, I... I I feel that the team are a family to me. I do feel that, actually, and some family members I know really well and some I'm getting to know because we have people joining all the time. But I got up there and I will talk to them honestly. This is where we're at. And a town hall is an opportunity to be really candid with the team and other any questions and just ask stuff. I want this to be, you know, why are we doing this now and where is this at? And I want people to feel comfortable enough that in an environment like that, they can know if they ask the question, it's very hard to ask a question in front of a lot of other people. And it's a real sign of how comfortable the team feel that they can do that or not, you know. And it was, it it made me realize I'm I'm really comfortable doing that. And I feel very close to um, people there. And then other days, I might just walk in the office and And feel disjointed because maybe I've been doing a lot of things out of the office, and then I come back in that environment, and I feel I have to reconnect again. Mm. So it's a lot about what the flow has been of my work. And other times, I I don't like this word imposter syndrome. You know, I I wrote a book last year, and it's it's something that I think is I don't always love labels, Sophie, that make people feel that they have to look at something with this word imposter. Nobody is an imposter. They are to me. It's either you are sitting in a room and you feel. I don't have a right to be here. And it, maybe it just means you need to go and learn a bit more about something or ask some questions. Mm-hmm. It's You have a right to be there because you've been invited into that room. But maybe if you're feeling that, you just think, well, let me learn some more. Yes. Or let me ask somebody or let me get a mentor. Just so you feel those layers of confidence can build up in your right to be there. But I occasionally get put in lists of things. So there is a list that I was really sort of always admire, which is this list. There was this list called Forbes 30 under thirty, and they chose thirty people under the age of thirty who were stars around the world. And I always felt great, but what about what about people in my age group? And they started one two years ago called 50, 50, 50 Over Fifty. And I was in it this year. Yay. Really? And it was it was sort of a thing. And then I looked at these people I was in it with and they were like, you know, the Archbishop of this and somebody who's doing molecular science over here. And I was thinking, I don't have the right to be here. I, I did feel that I don't have the right to be here. Um, so that's when I, I decrease the importance of my contribution. I mean, if I look at the, I have a very one of my best friends is a smartest woman I know. She was sort of at Oxford, at Cambridge. She worked on the genome project. She, she's ch- curing an element of blindness. You know, these are people who I think their impact on their world is staggering. Mm. And then. That's when I diminish the impact of helping a woman shift about how she feels about herself, because if... If I'm put on here and an element of being put on this planet is to help women shift in their thought about themselves, you create happier people who create happier environments, yep. who have happier children and happier colleagues. And you know what I mean? It, it, it reverberates. So I, yep. I shouldn't, it's, an, it's a weird ego thing to think, well, that's not what Because it does it, it has an impact, different yep. impact, one that might be deemed to be superficial, but people's sense of self is not superficial. It's no, a very important and thing.
2: community as well. The yeah. community of people feeling seen and feeling part yeah. of something, and the concentric circles of that, really, really valid. Uh, but I was thinking, I mean, this might be a little bit of a clumsy link, but when you were talking about when we talk about the success of something, it made me think about your daughter and becoming a mother. So your daughter's now twenty, so she's just a tiny bit older than my eldest. So we became mums around the same time, and you said that there's many rounds of IVF to have Lila, So within that, when you're trying to keep with your work and do all the things put on the front and all this hardship is going on behind the scenes and you're obviously having to build this resilience of just pick yourself up again, what happens when it works? How prepared are you it's, for motherhood? It's a, it's
0: a good question because you you're putting everything into trying to have a child but you're not thinking about... How's it going to be to be a mother? But I had when I I was really thinking, I wasn't thinking, would I ever be a mother? But in my early 30s, it was the last thing on my mind. And Susanna was a mother earlier than me. So she had two children before then. I had Lila, and we had our kids around the same hazard and my first. And so it was really looking at Susanna. I remember at the very beginning when she first had Joe, her oldest, who's now 25, I think. Yeah. He um you know, I, I we we'd start off as online business, it was nineteen ninety-nine, and I'd call her at eight thirty in the morning and say, Where are you? And she'll go, I'm breastfeeding. And I'll go, Well, when are you going to get here? You know. <laughs> that was I, I was so irritated by the fact that this child had got in the way of us building a business on a very superficial level, just like in that moment. Not yeah, in a like big time, but in that moment. <laughs> and then when she had Esme, uh, who was the most divine baby. I sort of thought, this is a wonderful thing. And I noticed also Susanna's evolution. She had this other raison d'etre in her life. And Susanna's passion to be incredibly ambitious is different from mine. It manifests itself in a different way. And so she found her calling as well. Susanna has her calling equally in motherdom and what that is and, um, and, and being a writer and, and the other things that she does. So I look at that And I think that's just, it's bringing out this side of her, which is really wonderful, and it's grounding her, and there's some amazing things. And it made me then think, actually, I really want that in my life too. And then that's when I tried to start having a child when I was 35. So that journey then was one where you just hovered between I'm never going to have a child, but you couldn't quite conceive the idea that I will never not have a child. And also I got pregnant a few times, but I lost them. Yeah, and I sorry. lost them, you know, not just in four weeks. Some of them, one I had to give birth to, you know, it was not... That's a so, massive thing. So just a, that sort of, that hope has got bigger and bigger and then it's gone. So that's a different impact. And then when finally I have Lila, I... Um, I realized as a mother, I'm not going to be able to do this all by myself. I know that from day one. And I knew that for a number of different reasons. I knew that there were moments when I would be slightly a single mother because my partner, you know, had some some things he had to deal with. And so from day one, I knew the only way I would do it is if I had help. And I didn't necessarily have a mother. I didn't have a mother who lived in England. So I I called up a friend and, I, and, and she had this maternity nurse and I, I said, you know, um I'd like, you know, uh, to get her. So then I lost that baby. So then I lost her. And she was really brilliant. I met her. I thought she's fantastic. She's she's the mother in instinct that I need, that I feel I don't have as a mother. And I didn't have a nurturing mother. So didn't have the skill set to understand how to do that. And then I um got pregnant. And so I had this other woman um, for a month when Lila was born. And when Lila was born, because I kind of lost babies and got pregnant, not got pregnant, I sort of hadn't planned that I'd take time off because I didn't know if it would happen. So, you know, I remember doing the Parkinson show two weeks before and I did Graham Norton two weeks after. All right. I, I just remember it sort of within that month I had done both of those and I'd had Lila in between. And then when she was two months old, I went to America and I shot a pilot and so, so it was just I didn't take maternity leave. Mm. I just didn't have it. I, well, I had six weeks, and lots of people just take six weeks. But now people take a bit longer. And so, I had this woman to begin with, who was really strict in how she felt a baby should be, and 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 I, I and it made it very challenging. But I sort of relied. I thought this is she knows much more than me. I don't know anything as a mother. And then. She was leaving and, and Jenny came in for a, I'm telling this long story because I know I told it, but it really, it's just how I am a mother. And then Jenny came in and she came in for a day to meet Lila because she was joining two weeks later. But she just said, um, oh, I don't know if she's going to be any good or whatever. And as this new mother, I was like, oh my God, I've made the wrong decision. So I call up my friend who'd recommended her. And she said, Trini, she will save your life. <laughs> don't listen to this other first woman. This is going to be a woman that you will thank me for your whole life. And so I was. So Jenny came after about three hours. I knew Jenny was going to just be that missing link in bringing up Lila. And it takes more than traditional parenthood and parents to bring up a child. And we didn't have that. You know, I didn't have grandparent support, and my partner would go, you know, once a year to rehab. So it wasn't a it wasn't a consistent um, presence. Although an incredibly loving father. And so. Jenny was this consistent thing in Lila's life, more than her mother and father. And so I would go away, because I'm I'm the main breadwinner. So I'd have to go at that stage. Most of my work when Lila was little, we weren't being offered in the UK. I'd stopped after she was about two. Getting what not to wear was finished. And so we were offered things abroad. So I went to 16 countries travelling, and sometimes I'd take her and sometimes I wouldn't. But I'd go for two weeks or a month or I'd leave, if it was in Europe, I would leave on a Friday and come, leave on a Monday and come back on a Thursday night or Friday. So really disjointed. But Jenny was always there. Mm. So Lila's upbringing has been untraditional. But when I look at what is the most important thing for me, for a child, is to feel the love of two adults in a different way. And sometimes that's been her dad. And her dad died when Lila was 10. And it's me all the time, but I'm not always there. And it's Jenny always there. So Jenny, you know, when Lila, you know, Jenny, I said, Jenny, can you stay, can you stay? She was a maternity nurse. And when Lila was five, it was, she was going to school. And I said, Jenny, I'm just not sure, but I just need you to stay because I just feel, you know, so she stayed. And then Lila was going to boarding school, all right. You know, then Johnny died. So obviously Jenny was staying for that, you know, and it was how long Jenny would stay that that Lila would feel, okay, it was, you know, a very traumatic um, time in our life. And then Lila went to boarding school, but then Jenny stayed. (laughs) So Jenny's still in our life, Lila is 20, and is, you know, the second, the third most important person in Lila's life. Lila has a brother, -brother, half-brother, and they've become closer and closer and closer. But for me, this whole concept of motherhood and how much of a mother and instinct we have and what kind of mother we can be and what we feel that we should be as a mother is something that I always look at because I also think that I can look on one hand and say it's much, is it easier to have more than one child because they can hang around with each other? When you have one child, the intensity of you always have to, you know, I'm so over-concerned. i was so over-concerned always with Lila feeling lonely because I felt very lonely as a child. I had five siblings, but I was at home and they were at boarding school and I was sick. And But I, I, so I sort of pushed that thought upon Lila and thinking, oh, if she's going to feel lonely, that's terrible. I never wanted Lila to feel lonely. You know, it's weird. Motherhood is a very, it really tells you a lot about yourself and then you want to do the best. And And I have a child who is, lives in the light. She could live in the darkness. She's had trauma that's happened to her. And she's, a joyful human being and she's got the best of her father and hopefully the best of me and not the worst of me for sure she's got the most unbelievable sense of humor and um you know just considering looking at now and looking back it's very easy to look back and i don't know what the future's going to bring but it is interesting to see that out of all of that and out of the different ways we choose to be parents and what we bring to that child she's okay
2: she sounds like she's more than okay Mm. It's making me think of the pressure that, you know, creates diamonds, you know. But I think also I found a lot of what you said really moving because you've obviously had to do a lot a lot of mothering without a roadmap ahead of you. Mm. There's a lot of things you've had to deal with which is not par for the course. And I'm so sorry you've had to deal with those things because those are, I mean, the idea of, you know, your 10-year-old child suddenly finding themselves without their dad is huge. Mm. But you've obviously firstly Jenny, like here's to Jenny. She sounds yeah, incredible. Just, I do want to have,
0: you know, I don't talk often about Jenny, but she is the most unbelievable woman. And
2: Yeah, but also yeah. for you, just having that consistency, that that bond and the that shorthand that you can have with someone else who cares about your person as yeah, much as you do. That's so true. But you don't have to fill in the gaps every time. It's just it's a natural priority for them too. Like yeah. what What an amazing feeling. It's like a hand in your back, isn't it? Yeah, always? It's or just so, like so true. someone else has got me. So when you go away and you have to do the work and you've got to show up and do that stuff, someone is at home holding the fort in the way that you feel good about. Mm-hmm. So they've always got that person to give them that. I think that's really special. And I think as well when you have childcare, like for me, I've had um, a nanny in my kid's life since they were tiny. And sometimes if they hurt themselves, they'll go to like we had nanny Claire for eleven years, mm-hmm. and they would go to her. And mm-hmm. I always, rather than feeling anything like about me, I think how brilliant that I have the right person that they can get what they need from her as well. Like yeah. i like well done to me for yeah. finding someone yeah. that works so well. Um, but when you've when you've sort of navigated all these things, listen, my mum and I we were on our own, so she was my you know single mother to me for a really crucial bit in my when I was sort of in my single figures when I was little. And we've always credited it as being like the keystone of our relationship, actually. It kind of set the tone for so many things. Mm -hmm. So I know a bit about that intensity. I know what it feels like as a daughter. But as a mother, how is it now she's 20 to just have to start not always being as, you know, under the same roof all the time and that kind of thing? What's motherhood like
0: now in that stage? It's interesting because lots of people say, oh, my God, do you miss it." Because Lila went to university in Spain, too, and... I uh, it was quite difficult when she left school and she had had what I call she was this COVID kid because from 16 to 18 when you and I were sort of having the summer of love and it was all yeah we were finding ourselves and we were in relationships or meeting people Lila and her friends were kind of at home so an element of their emotional maturity did not grow And then other elements overgrew because it was a time when there was a crisis in the world and they were a part of that crisis. And so there was this kind of life-and-death moment going on which had an impact also in their ability to rush out to the world because you want to kind of keep the batons down. I think quite a few kids became not agoraphobic but just this close-to-home moment. And then she left school and most of her friends decided to have a gap year, which Lila did as well. And then she went off at the beginning of her gap year to go and do uh, three months in Italy, learning about history of art. And she was so excited about it. And and I should have seen some signs before because she went off on a couple of holidays and she sort of just felt a bit ill and I thought she had neurovirus or something. But in fact, she had really, really bad anxiety. And I have a very lovely um, therapist who helped me called Julia Samuel. And she had, you know, said to me that when... Lila goes away for the first time and, and friends of mine who've had, their partners have died and their kids have then, maybe when they were younger, the kids have gone away for a gap year, everything came out. So what actually happened is elements of Lila's feelings, which she probably kept just quietly down because you process things when you're ready, came out. And, and, and just she became, this acceleration of her anxiety over literally three days was just I was, you know, and she would, you know, she called me 30 times a day for three days. And, you know, I'm and, and into the body, like chronically throwing up every 10 minutes. You know, this really, not just somebody, you know, this is not a food disorder thing. This is anxiety yeah. having. And I just didn't know what to do. And, and you go from thinking, this is the beginning of the next stage of her life. I need to push her to c- get on board with this because she's 19. You know, it's she's gotta get there. And well she was eight eighteen and a half. But it just only got worse. So so I, I veered from come on, darling, you're okay, breathe with me. And we always do this breathwork, Lila, when she's been a bit stressed as she's grown up and and we do it on the phone and I'll just bring her down, you know. And nothing was working and then I'd go to tough mum come on darling I've paid this much you've got to, you know I just mm. I, I tried every you know when you try from every I angle don't. yeah and then in the end I called my doctor I called um, my old sponsor I called Julia and I said I don't know what to do and they said Trini maybe you need to bring her home and it was such a big decision because I had this real sense that all her friends were going to go off around the world and do these things and I was going to come home and be alone it goes back to this Fear for my child of being alone. She has so many friends. But it's that when you should just stop superimposing your own bloody fears. Anyway, she came back. She got help. She, you know, did some of that tapping stuff. Yep. EMD. Or yep. no, I never know. It's the initials. EMD or whatever. But it really helped. It's very helpful for kids when they cannot talk about something and they just feel it in their body, which is yep. where Lila is at, I think, around around that. So she had that year. She went for a week to Singapore, which is like a test for us, and it was okay. And then she goes off, and when she went to university, I went with her and she said, I want you to come for three days and stay with me. She was determined to not be in England. All her friends were doing this more traditional approach of being at the same school, a lot of them going to the same university, and she just felt, I want to break, this is part of me that yeah. wants to break out. But when we go there and we're getting her room ready, and she, I could feel that slight panic rising. So we went round the room and I had all these post-it notes, and by her bed I had get out of bed and move. You know, this thing of lowness and you've got to move. You know, um, 99% of everything you worry about never happens, which is something her dad always said. You know, in her bathroom mirror, I had, don't pick your spots. But there were like 20 Post-it notes. Mm. We went to buy a gratitude journal together. And she never writes like, she's very dyslexic, but she did it because I came to visit her a week later and she brought her journal with her. She met me in Madrid and she had it and she'd written in her journal all the time. And I just thought she actually knows She's got to do stuff. Yeah. And then within a month, it was like I had a different child. She was, oh, I was out till 5 in the morning. I mean, I, instead of people being nervous about their child's progressing too quickly or running away and I never see them, it was like I was so relieved mm. that she was going out till 5 a.m. I was so relieved that she was happy, happy. Yes. I mean, God, that's all we want for our kids. And, and you know, she before we went, there was this calendar of, how many days till I see you? And we planned in these flights. We'd booked so many bloody flights, you know, so she could know that she had this point in which she could come back and and think, that's when i am see mommy again. And now we're in the second term and she's like, I might not come home this weekend. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is progress. So now we're at the stage where, oh, actually, Lila has got her own life. So am I thinking, oh, you know, She's flown the nest, and all those feelings you have of of what we call emptiness syndrome. But I sort of I made a guarantee against it. So I, the night she she left, that I came back, us, um, uh, my stepson Zach was here, who's ten years old I, and he said, I thought I'd stay a couple of days um, because you know, you, and I thought you might find that nice. You know, I was like, okay, and he cooked me dinner, very sweet. So anyway, he's still here. It is, it is uh, five months later. And my, my nephew as well. These guys are both 30 or 33, all right? It's not like they're teens. My nephew as well, um, who was sort of, you know, doing some entrepreneurial stuff, so can't afford huge rents, and just said, can I stay with you in September? And, and he'd asked me in July. I thought, great, because Lila's leaving. It'd be good. I don't want to be in an empty house. That was my thing. Mm. Don't want to feel lonely. So they're both here. It's, mm. like, it's like a frat house. You know, they sort of, <laughs> you know, they do lift a finger, Sort of, but I might come back and say, "Did you take the dogs out?" And they go, "Well, you know, I was on the phone, so it's difficult." Excuse me. <laughs> how, how does that, your phone is a portable your device. You have to look after yeah. the dogs. So, sometimes. but but so it does make you also look at elements of yourself because you know, Lila's on this journey and she's really excited by the journey, and mm. and it's. I feel I will. We will always have that closeness, you know. You, I think, when you go through a lot together, and she is my only child, you know, she has a fantastic brother. There is that, that real closeness.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and it's sort of a lot of it forged in fires as well. You've really got that, that closeness and probably a... That's almost like a language. Only the two of you can speak to each other, really. Mm. And I think actually what you said about when someone you care about is going through... I mean, that really resonated about when she was really struggling and you... You feel that thing of like, okay, no, let's do this. Let's, you know, I think you're someone who probably likes to problem solve, right? Okay, let's get this sorted so that you can move forward. But sometimes just stopping and just letting her come home and just taking stock is actually mm. completely the best thing. Yeah. Especially as your kids are growing up, it's the only time in our lives it really happens where everything is so measured by year by year. You know, if you told me about lots of big events happening at thirty three, or oh, actually no, it's thirty seven, you wouldn't think anything of it. But if it's between fourteen and seventeen, you suddenly think that's a really oh well, these things happen at certain ages. Mm-hmm. So with our kids we're watching them all and seeing their peers and you feel like people are going into bits that they haven't are not they should be further along. Yeah. But actually quite often there's I just don't think anyone gets through life without anything ever happening mm. that makes them question that a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So you do get wisdom out of it. And even though it's awful at the time, there's always the wisdom about how to sort of, I don't know, protect yourself for the future or something, Mm -hmm. I suppose, or just learn new layers or empathise with people more. It breaks down all those barriers, doesn't it? So now when people talk to you and they've been through things, you're like, trust me, I've been there, you know, so many things. I wanted to ask you a little bit about when you were setting up your business while I was little and you had to kind of put everything on the line. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: It's easy looking back now to see, obviously, all your instincts came to fruition But when you were at the point where you're, you know, selling your clothes to fund your business, Mm -hmm. did you ever think, what am I doing with me and my daughter? Like, where will this take my daughter and I?
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting how far ahead you play the movie because I think I only ever play the movie a certain period ahead. And when I realised... I was actually going to do the business I thought about it a long time Mm -hmm. and then I had been earning money and then like you know we have residue income you and I from different things so the residual income was was drying up and I wasn't doing any more tv and I had this idea so there was that period when you know the the life I thought I would create for myself had not you know I'd I'd been earning a lot of money so I bought this house I had a big more everything so I'd had this big overhead Mm. this life that then I wasn't getting the revenue in so I couldn't afford the big life and I also thought I want to do a business where I am totally responsible for whether it will succeed or not because when you're in a partnership with somebody it's that sort of who's pushing and pulling and and so you're kind of either pulling somebody with you or you know it's it's not always in the same place and Mm. I just thought if I'm going to do it I don't want to do it off my own back that it's my responsibility whether it works or not. Yeah. Until you build a team up. But just for the idea yeah, team the get off the but... ground. And so I thought, what am I going to do to do that? And Lila was still at school and her school fees were paid because she had a godfather who paid helped me pay the school fees.
2: That's the that's a great yeah, kind you of two, godfather. Yeah, two,
0: two godparents who who Help me to be able to finish paying the school fees. Because when her dad died, there was a lot of a fallout I had to deal with. So there was just this, so I knew that was she wouldn't have to change school. I knew I'd have to change house, and I knew that Lila could adapt quickly. You mm. know, actually, kids get attached to a house, but if it's another house, the most important thing for them is what's going on inside that house. Absolutely. And so, you know, I first of all rented it out, and then I knew I'd have to sell it, and then I at the same time was also thinking I, I need to raise more money, and I thought I'll sell my clothes because I know what way Fit them in a new house, and so I, I sold um We're sitting in a wardrobe full of clothes, but I, I had many more clothes, so I sold them. And I just had some people there who were reticent that I was going to start this business when uh, her dad died, and they sort of said to me, You know, maybe you should go and get a job. Do you um, mean
2: they're worried about your, your emotional they, connection? No, with what they, were, doing, they were just or? like they
0: were just—it's so unknown. Just risky, and you know, you're a mum and you have got to look after Lila, and maybe you just need to go and find a regular income, so you know. Mm. And I—the first thing I thought to myself is, who would give me a fucking job? <laughs> I actually didn't know Sophie because to go out of the career in, yeah, uh, and then get a job, I thought, well, who is going to pay me? And something for that makes complete
2: sense as yeah. well. It's so continuation.
0: So I, yeah, and I just so I very quickly dismissed that, and I thought, I have to do this. It's now or never. I'm fifty. And so, or I was 49 then, so I emailed them back and I said, look, I've just got to do it. So they said, well, when you're ready and when you've put together your documents whatever, come and talk to us. And they were one of my first investors. Um, And so at that beginning, I, you know, I just knew I had to do it. That was as far as it went. And when you wind the movie forward and you think how big is the picture, I kind of knew I'd have to sell the house. I rented something, then... Also, I've been with my partner for two years, and then we moved in together. So all these things sort of happened and evolved. And, you know, still today, you know, I live in a rental. I don't own a home. I own a a part of a home in in a a little chalet in France. So I have have my roots slightly somewhere, and it's also a place that we've had for 25 years, whereas for Lila it's the most important place, actually, because Mm. even though we don't go there so much... She's known it since she was born. That's, yeah. like, crucial for a child to have something like that somewhere. Might not be in the form of a house, but it's something they can feel, they can they can um, measure their life against this thing. I just think it's continuity, especially when things have been inconsistent in a child's life. They 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 look more towards what has been continuous. Jenny has been continuous. Sam Wines has been continuous. These things are important. I think
2: um, continuity is
0: yeah. like a key element, I think. So I... Sit in this space where I think it's successful right now, but it's not yet where it needs to be for me to feel I have total freedom. Of you know, I've bought and paid for a house. You know, we have this thing of our parents: if they buy a home, they mortgage, and then at some stage they pay off the mortgage, and then they like they downsize, and then their kids get a mortgage, and the whole thing <laughs> evolves and goes yes. on. So I do want to be in a position where I can be in a home that I own, where I can also help Lila you know, towards a flat. Mm -hmm. You know, those are the most basic things I would like to do. And that I won't also probably be 65, working a sort of 18-hour day, Mm -hmm. 16-hour day, because I just feel also at some stage I, I won't be working this hard. And I want to feel there is a fullness to my life yeah. You know, that's so there's a there's an evolving right now of how do I go from in the weeds today? There's 240 people in the business. You know, I need to be so in the weeds. And we're hiring really brilliantly qualified people to be strategic. So, you know, I I look at it that this guy said to me, the um CEO
2: coach. Yeah. And he yeah. said
0: to me, Trini, you're the dragon's head in a Chinese New Year dragon. You're the dragon's head and you're getting a new idea, and you're going, oh, and there's, you know, a few hundred people in the body of the dragon. And and as this dragon is quite long, those last legs go, they've just got over there, and you're over there. And then suddenly you change direction, and they've only just got there. And then you're, so it's, it's if you keep chopping and changing what you want to do, yeah. it really affects people. So you have to have this consistent roadmap of where you're going and what oh, yes, you're building. So true, And the only way that I can do that and be good for those people who work in the business is if I get out of the weeds and I look strategically so where yes. do I want to be in three years and let's work backwards were you always like this or is this something you no, to learn? something I've really had okay. to learn and then how can I what do I need to do this year yeah in all these different departments of the business and in my life as well because this where do I want to be in three years is about where the business wants to be and where I want to be as a person and they're sort of in conjunction because it might be I you know will I still be the CEO or will I be the chairman, president, chief creative officer? You know, will I want, you know, somebody to drive the business who's driven a business to that point of inflection where it needs to go that I've never had the experience to do? Or will I feel, yes, I should still steer them? You know, there's all those things that you think about as you grow a business. Um, and also I want to, you know, when we, I think when we talk about stages in life traditionally, and if we look at the reflection of our parents, you're, 10 years younger than me, but still, we have parents of a you know, well, mm-hmm. uh, my parents aren't alive anymore, but um, of you know, your sort of 20s, 30s are discovering yourself, your 40s, and 50s are your you know, your, or your 40s are the most biggest part of your career, your 50s are kind of you're you're just ticking the boxes of things you want to have maybe got to, like you've paid off the mortgage, all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, if you have kids, they happen to be leaving. You might be getting the grandchildren in your 60s. You know, there's this kind of flow. And, you know, in your 60s, a lot of people stop working. And in the 70s, they're kind of retired. And then in the 80s, you're preparing that you might not be around. So I don't look at life like that. No, at all. that doesn't surprise me. I just, I just feel <laughs> I, I never, ever look at life like that. And I had a very lovely friend of mine who then really regretted saying this because I brought it up to her so much, where she sent me an email and she said, Trini, you really have to think about the future because you might only have 20 good summers left where you're really agile and able to do what you want. And I was like, are you kidding me you sent this email? Is that really how you think? And, but I thought to myself, yes, we can Actually, mm. there's no reason why we shouldn't think like that because you know so that's why I think I'm a I'm very obsessed. A lot of people are like, Can't you just be happy to grow old gracefully? And my challenge to people is
2: that even mean? I, I, Yes,
0: it's very it's very true, Sophie. <laughs> but um on the most superficial level, it could be your husband, I love you as you are, please don't change it. No mm. Botox, no what it could be that, which okay. has a definitely path and is a very a lot of women feel that. Um, but I think Generally, we all want to look in the mirror and feel that we're not exhausted by life. Mm. And I think as you get older, you can feel exhausted by life a little bit more. So how do I put off or not have come into my life so much that feeling of exhausted by life? So what do I put inside my body? How do I eat less sugar? How do I um look after my body and build up strength? And I you know, I really do a lot of strength training and I've just gone to ten kilo weights and I'm like, oh, okay, I can't feel my bottom warning. the next day. The yeah, yeah. But it's it's like it's I see literally when I look at weights i don 't think I want to get a firm ab. I think my bones are protected, yeah, my mother had strength. osteoporosis that 's literally what I think about, and I feel let me protect those bones, so if i 'm ninety and I have a fall, i jump up again. you know I, I want to be that person who doesn 't feel um, that i 'm controlled by my body in mm. in what I decide to do, I want to feel I look after my body and do as much of my body as I can so it will look after me yeah and so therefore when I look at what will I be doing in 10 years or 20 it's sort of it's not you know I do want to own my own home in the next three years definitely let's put that out there I own it's my on own home it's up here. there it's on yeah. a post-it now actually yeah, 2024 yeah. own home so that's yeah. actually the end of this year sorry that's that was put on two years ago so we're a little bit like okay. ni- that yeah we that's have right. to keep still that one a few up. months um and We need to think, how do I get to that point? And then there'll be another point. But, yeah, it's three-year things. I don't look ahead more than three years.
2: I actually really relate to that. I find when people have big plans, five-year, ten-year... That I can't even begin to picture it because so much of what actually probably both of us do is is about reacting as well and yeah. where energy is and how things evolve. And, yeah. and it sounds like you're someone that sees themselves as someone who's still who's always learning and there's all these different chapters. I think that's I think that's a really good way to stay quite youthful in yourself, actually, because it keeps mm. your mind young about life, I think. Yeah. So a lot of it comes that exhausted by life thing comes as well from feeling like Doors are closing. Possibilities aren't there anymore. Yeah. It's, it's not a great stance, yeah. I don't think. Yeah. For, or I'm
0: doing the same thing every day. Yes, and very where's true. that lift?
2: Exactly. Yeah. Um, before we started recording, I was telling you about how a lot of my motivation for having these conversations was about actually very selfishly about trying to work through my own sort of guilt when I go away for work, and mm-hmm. and the fact that I love what I do, but mm-hmm. I also want to be a good mom. I want my mm-hmm. kids to feel like I was always present. Is that something you've been, do you, have you found that quite easy bedfellows? It sounds like because you've navigated it so much, reacting to actually who Lila is, but also mm-hmm. who you are, rather than just going, this is what motherhood must look like.
0: I need to constantly remind myself to live in the moment when it comes to that, because sometimes I can be distracted and Lila go, hello. Like this. Mm-hmm. She's like the mother, hello. Mm-hmm. You know, She'll be in a taxi and I'm just doing something mm-hmm. on social and she hasn't got her phone. Right. Okay. She so sounds a
2: lot like my eldest.
0: Yeah, but then she'll be watching telly, and I think, "Come on, let's watch a whole film." And she doesn't have the attention bank. She's on. She has a TikTok brain. So she will be doing <laughs> Sims, looking at TikTok, and watching the film with me. And it, I'm like, so <laughs> I'm making an infuriated face right now. But it is that sort of, you know, there's there's both those. It, it mm. swings like she's. Totally, I'm totally parenting and then she's parenting me. And there is a thing that you shouldn't really have a child parent you, but she does remind me of how to be sometimes when I'm slightly out of myself or I'm lost in a thought and she'll go, you know, hi. Uh, and, you know, so we help each other.
2: I don't think that it's mothering as well. I think that's just two people whose relationship is, is in the moment and you care about actually engaging with each other properly. I think yeah. that's actually um, care. I think the ones where you could have what looks like the model of, you know, the parent doing the parent and the kid being the kid, but they're not necessarily actually caring about the other ones hearing them. You know, you'd have to be on a phone to be not listening, do you? Um, Is there anything about your experience as as one of a big, again, very selfish question, as one of a big family, youngest Mm -hmm. of six, is there anything you've taken from it and is actually similar in Lila's life or is all of it just
0: different? I think that it's really different um, because... Yeah, I mean, there are similarities but differences. Did you when, like
2: it? Did you like being in a big family?
0: Well, it was a, com- it was a, it was a complicated... <laughs> she said, hopefully. <laughs> no, it was, a, it, was a, it was a complicated family, actually, because they weren't yeah. all from the same parents. So, okay. you know, my dad married twice, had three children, and then married my mother, had three children. So there was sort of times when we all came together as a family and times okay. when it was very separate. So And there was lots of stuff that was never discussed. So it was not a family that chatted things through ever, hmm. you know, I, so you've
2: had to learn all of that. Aren't, yeah, that? I think
0: I've had to learn oh. that on my own. Like I've never—I've once had a deep conversation with my mother. Yeah. Okay, that tells yeah. you
2: that doesn't yeah, tell. probably.
0: And that was when you know she sort of wasn't feeling close to my dad, and she confided in me. That's once, once in you know our sort of uh, fifty-eight-year relationship. So. It was just a different time. She mm. was brought up in a very old-fashioned way in a very traditional household. And so when we grew up, you know, it was a very entitled life for the first years of my life. My mother had a lot of help. And I don't remember her as a child. I don't remember her in my life. And then I went to boarding school six and a half. Let's and then I time. saw her, you know, three times a year because it, it was they lived abroad, so I didn't go back in when people have exits and things. And half term sometimes I did, but sometimes I went to stay with my grandmother in Brighton and Hove. And Hove then was really grannies, back-to-back grannies. So I just lived in granny land um, <laughs> when I was sort of, you know, whatever, quite a young age till 15. That's so little to go to boarding school, isn't it? Six. It was little to go to boarding school. And it's something that I don't always look deeply into because it just sort of happened. Yeah. But it is... Um, when I, when I, when Lila turned six and a half, I looked at Lila's height, even. And I thought, my God, you, you know, and, and how little she was, how emotionally small she was, you know. And I, and I thought that's, that stunts, that stunts um, emotional development a little bit. And I think I was stunted in my emotional development for a few years, probably.
2: Yeah, but yeah. then you've obviously just, Through your own, isn't it interesting that you can have whatever upbringing you'll have, but the kernel, the chemistry of who you are was always in there. So you've had to just sort of chip away to go, I'm going to find the people that you don't have to always get everything that's expected from the traditional relationships. You've Mm -hmm. obviously found the other people that gave you what you needed at the right time. yeah. That's that can yeah. sometimes see us right, yeah, can't and f-
0: found the wrong people <laughs> <laughs> as well occasionally, oh, where you had to spend a few years getting over. You know, so I think yeah. you you do look for things you feel your parents. So in my early twenties, I did look in boyfriends for things I felt I hadn't got mm. from my dad. You know that you do do that, do that a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's cl- that's a classic. I think it's really classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's
2: what's what happens, isn't that? Mm-hmm. Well. I think there's so much wisdom to take from what you've said. I mean, I'm sure the word... I mean, Survivor doesn't seem right because, of course, you have been through lots of different experiences. But I think actually what I take away is actually like huge amounts of optimism about... I mean, as I've been talking to you, behind you is a wardrobe full of amazing colours. And I think you've always seemed to be able to find the bright in things. And that's actually how you Mm -hmm. described Lila as well, It's this light.
0: Yeah.
2: That's a powerful thing. Mm. What a glorious thing! I think mm. it's wonderful, and testament to the two of you really that that's where you're at right now. And am I right? You're about to have a big birthday.
0: I am about to have a big birthday. Yeah, I know yeah. people talk so
2: about big birthdays, but anything yeah. that ends in a zero or five, yeah, you're probably going to get balloons with those numbers on. Yeah,
0: you are exactly. So you're about
2: to be sixty, is that right? Yeah,
0: that's right. And is
2: that a thing? I know you say you feel ageless. It's not really
0: a thing. No. I mean, it's a thing in so much that. It's a thing for other people. Like if I do into a journey, go, you're going to be sixty. You're a very you know, good I, advert for it, though. Yeah. Come on, it
2: must feel quite yeah. satisfying. It's, but it's <laughs> it's nice. I age celebrate is, it. age
0: is a number. You know, at twenty five, I was like a fifteen year old. You know, it's like I've never fitted in my age, down or up, and I see it as. I think each one, like when I, I remember when I was in my forties and. I sat with a woman who's four years older than me, and and she said, you know, when you're 50, Trini, the amazing thing is you stop worrying what people think. All right. It's a big one to stop worrying what people think. Oh, that's huge. So I've got to
2: wait till, okay.
0: Yeah. But I mean, you can do it earlier, but it's like, it was one profound thing that she said to me. And I remember when I turned 50, a lot of things happened. Johnny died when I was 50. So so it was was a lot of, I didn't stop take a step back to think about it but when I was 51 and on my birthday on my 51st birthday I thought my goodness it's true I don't worry it's not I don't care what people think because that's a that's an insult to people But I don't worry if somebody has a view on me I don't worry about it if somebody you know wants to write something about me I don't give a shit if they want to write something that that reflects my daughter or my family I really overcare. uh but it's so that's that's that release. So I'm thinking in my 60s, what's that, what's that release? So I haven't met people yet who've said, oh, my 60s, this came into my life. It's like, oh, my 60s, I'm beyond a few things now. So I, I would love to change the conversation. So I, maybe there need to be the one to say, you know what, when you hit 60, these amazing things, these emotional, you know, light bulb moments are going to come into your life. So I've got to, see as it develops what they are and communicate those to people who are scared of reaching their 60th decade
2: yeah don't fear it also it's a privilege to get older you've lost people yeah. they didn't get the opportunity to get older yeah you've got to yeah relish that so true that's the gift right so true. and the light but bo- i feel like all roads lead to light it's a good thing thank you so much trini <laughs> thank Love you Sophie. talking to you and my skin feels lovely too <laughs> So that was Trini. Thank you so much to her for having me over. And all her wisdom and her honesty, I'm now sat next to Mickey. He and I have been playing some games. There's toys. The playroom was actually quite tidy this morning. There was just stuff everywhere. It's Saturday afternoon. My eldest boy is having his guitar lesson next door. It sounds very sweet. I am now about an hour away from having... 10, 15-year-olds 10 in the house. Please oh, wish me luck. Love. Mickey, is it going to be all right love. with Kit's sleepover? Mickey? Oh, he's shaking his head. Oh, yes. Oh, thank you. Oh, there's lots um, of people. All right. I've also got to sort out um, what I'm wearing for Jimmy Fallon. I'm flying to New York tomorrow to see on Jimmy Fallon, which I'm super excited about, but what am I going to wear? I already told you about Jimmy Fallon. I'm allowed to talk about it more than once, right? Anyway, what should I wear? Mommy, come on. I was supposed oh, to sort yeah. that out this All oh, right, I'm coming. I was supposed to sort that out this week and I just haven't. Um, oh, yeah. All right. I could always do a salt burn and just wear nothing. Oh, yeah, I'll yeah, get those Americans talking. Anyway, thank you so, so much to all of you for joining me for another series of the podcast. Thank you so much to all my amazing guests. Um, it really is such a delight. And uh, I've already, as I said, began um, recording for the next series. I think, realistically, that's going to be the end of March. So I know of my month off at the end of... Um, I always do 10 episodes, then a month off, then I return. But I think I might give myself a tiny bit more of a month, than more than a month. More like five or six weeks, just because I'm going on tour around Europe at the beginning of March and I'm not back till like the 20th, so I kind of want to um, give myself a little bit of time just to make sure I've got few things lined up for you. But uh, I've already started with some amazing... I can't speak today. I've already started with some amazing interviews. So I'm feeling good about that. But yeah, thank you so much to Trini for talking to me for today's episode. I really... Again, I know I'm repeating myself, but there's just so many guests I come away and I sort of feel like invigorated. It's just good to be around energetic, can-do people. But I think she's not just a can-do person. She's also thoughtful and empathetic. Um, as a result of her experiences and probably just the nature of who she is. So um, I will try and find you more inspirational women for the other side. Um, I'm still trying to get the astronaut. Uh, I've had the brush off from a couple. It's very annoying. It's because they're American and I'm not saying it matters, but it's definitely easier when people recognise my name. They're more likely to say yes or at least be intrigued. But, you know, there's so many podcasts, aren't they? And if they get this podcast from some woman they've never heard of with a stupid name, they're just thinking, nah. So maybe I should just go for broke and just like screen grab the NASA Instagram post that name checked Myron Dance floor and say, Look, NASA approve of me. Please, can you come and speak to me? Oh, hold on a second. Yeah? East? Sorry? Where's East? East. I always have to do this. Never eat shredded wheat. But you mean, where's East from our house? No, no, like what, what way? Is this way, this way, this way, this way? Uh, this way. So do your hand. Never eat. Is it this way? Yeah, like a clock. Yeah. Kay. Never eat shredded wheat. So he says it... Yeah. Okay. I don't know if I just taught him right. I basically just taught him, like, what it always is rather than where it is geographically for where we're standing. I am a 44-year-old woman and I still have to do never eat shredded wheat every time to remember which way is east and which way is west. Should I be ashamed? Maybe so. Mm. Anyway, listen, <coughs> excuse me. Have an amazing, amazing, amazing rest of February. And if you're coming to find me on the European Tour in March, I can't wait to see you. I'm planning some lovely, lovely shows. And I will be back in Blighty taking it nice and easy. Mommy april and may so that i can uh, yeah have some time to write and record so thank you so much thanks to ella may for doing the artwork thanks to richard for doing my editing he just walked in the room i'm talking about you uh thanks to amazing claire jones for her uh production and incredible edit notes they're very very beautiful and of course mainly thank you to you for lending me your ears i will see you soon all right take care of yourself see you in a bit bye
1: only from rustolium Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom